Chapter 17 Fiora stayed close to the ocean floor, ducking behind rocks and reefs as often as possible to avoid detection. When a ship sailed over her, Fiora swam to the surface so she could hide in its shadow. Wherever it was going, she would go as well. It was the long way around, but it was safer than swimming in open water. She couldn't risk being found when the merfolk wanted her dead. Taking the long way around took a long time. The ship sailed at a leisurely pace until it reached a harbor far too busy to accommodate her transformation. Fiora swam along the coast, dodging piers until she found a secluded stretch of shoreline. She studied the underwater terrain one last time to make sure she hadn't been followed by merfolk. Then she slipped her head above the surface and checked the land for humans. The ocean waves crashed against an empty beach. A forest stretched along the rugged coast, and large rocks jutted out from the shallow water, creating the perfect hiding place for her to work her magic. The royal castle of Montaigne sat on a hill in the distance. It was close enough that people would think twice about swimming on the beach, but far enough away that Fiora wasn't likely to be bothered by royals. In fact, this might be the same beach she had brought Gustav to after rescuing him last night. Fiora hesitated. There had been people on the beach then. Gustav's family and the woman in the cloak. She swam a little further away from the castle just to be safe. Fiora found an outcropping of rocks to hide behind and set the squid ink on a small ledge. Best to wait on that in case the magic from the transformation affected the dye. It would be just her luck to turn her hair green by accident. Squawk? A seagull landed on the rock and studied the bottle with interest. Fiora waved her hands at it. Shoo! Go away! The seagull tilted his head and hopped closer. He pecked at the bottle and tipped it over. More gulls landed on the rock, studying Fiora and the ink with greedy eyes. Bad birds! Bad? Fiora grabbed the bottle before it spilled and set it on a lower ledge where she could guard it more easily. The seagull squawked at her again and flew to a higher perch to watch. The rest of the gulls left to search for an easier target. Blasted birds. She'd better do this quickly before they caused more trouble. Fiora slipped her pearl ring off her finger and set it beside the bottle of ink. She doubted the ring would affect the enchantment, but there was no point taking that chance. She studied the shell and signed the notes to the song in a silent rehearsal. She really should have grabbed the second shell and read the rest of the details about the spell but there was no time for that now. Fiora took a deep breath and sang. She kept her vowels round and only let the mermaid part of her voice into the song. Please, let her magic be enough. Her throat tickled when she reached the final phrase. Then the tickle turned into a burning that swept through her lungs. Fiora gasped for air, and her song became an otherworldly scream that scattered the seagulls perched nearby. Then the scream faded into silence so sudden that it seemed deafening. The burning in her throat spread through her body and settled in her fin. The pain grew stronger until it felt like a thousand knives were stabbing and slicing her tail. Fiora writhed on the rock and nearly fell into the water. She tried to stop singing and reverse the enchantment, but it was far too late for that. The shell hadn't mentioned that the transformation was torture. Maybe it wasn't for full-blooded mermaids. Maybe this was like the oysters but a thousand times worse. Or maybe the pain was described on the second shell. 
Tears streamed down Fiora's cheeks as the stabbing spread from her bones to her skin. She had once seen a chef scrape the scales off a fish with a knife. It felt like someone was doing that to her now, but they hadn't had the decency to cut her head off first. Fiora sank into the water and stared at the sky, willing the screaming in her head to stop. Another burst of agony spread across her neck. Fiora tried to massage it away and realized her gills had disappeared. She breathed deeply through her mouth, and the air eased the burning in her lungs. The stabbing sensation in her bones slowly faded away. Her skin felt raw, but the worst of the pain had gone. Fiora clung to the rock and lifted her right foot out of the water. Her skin was smooth and clear. It showed no sign of damage from the magic and searing pain. Fiora wiggled her toes and tried to stand, but her legs shook too badly to hold her weight. A wave pushed her against the rock, and Fiora clung to it to avoid being swept out into the open water as the wave receded. She would drown if she fell into the sea before she recovered her strength enough to swim. The seagull hopped down and pecked at the ink again. Fiora yelled at it, but no sound came out. That wasn't good. Fiora screamed, but only managed to produce a soft burst of air. She tried to sing. To speak. To hum. Silence. Had the magic taken her voice? She hoped that was the last surprise from the enchantment. Fiora straightened her legs and swatted the bird away. She stood still, panting, as her legs steadied and the ringing in her ears settled. Fiora dug her toes into the sand and grinned. Even if they were shaky, she had legs again. She was human again. And she was naked. Of course the mermaids hadn't bothered to mention that the charm didn't include clothes. They never wore them. Fiora shook away the mental image of Madame Isil walking naked into a human town and declaring that she had come to study them. It was entirely possible that had happened at some point, but that was the least of Fiora's worries. She lowered herself into the water and arranged her hair over her shoulders. At least it was long enough to cover her chest. There was nothing she could do about clothes now. She would have to stay in the water until nightfall then sneak to a farmhouse and steal something from a laundry line. The thought of creeping through someone's farm naked made Fiora's face burn with embarrassment, but what choice did she have? She would find some clothes and mark the place so she could repay them later. Repay them with what? She had nothing. Fiora tried to sigh, but it came out as a small puff of air. She hummed, testing her voice again. Nothing happened. She tried to speak, but her lungs began to burn. She pressed her lips together in a grim line. So, the enchantment took her voice. At least she still had her life. Fiora poured squid ink into her hands and worked it through her hair. A seagull dove for the bottle, and Fiora slapped him away. The ink on her fingers left black spots on his feathers. The seagull craned his head, trying to eat the ink off his back, but he couldn't reach. It served him right. Fiora silently giggled at his antics as she continued dyeing her hair. She decided to call him Spot since he was now spotted with ink stains. If he was going to keep her company while she sat naked in the water, he should have a name. The hair treatment was a messy business, but Fiora grinned when she finally finished and looked at her reflection in the sea. She barely recognized herself without her bright red hair. If she was discovered, 
it was unlikely that anyone would know her by her face alone. Her hair had always been her most distinguishing feature. The only thing about her anyone remembered. Her stomach growled, and Fiora glared up at the castle. They were probably eating breakfast right now and marveling at King Gustav's lucky escape. She'd have to find a way to get food once she had clothes. She could find work somewhere. Perhaps offer her sewing services to a local seamstress in exchange for a meal. She was so hungry. Fiora tried to drink the remainder of the squid ink and gagged on it. She'd rather go hungry than finish that. Spot squawked hopefully, so Fiora poured the rest of the ink on a rock for him. He pecked at it, dyeing his beak black in the process, then began to groom himself. This streaked even more dye through his feathers. More seagulls landed on the rock. Most of the birds looked the same, but Spot stood out now with his unusual markings. Fiora scrubbed the ink off her hands and put her pearl ring back on her finger. Then she glared at the sun. It was just rising above the horizon. This was going to be a long day. She leaned against the rock, making herself as comfortable as she could. As impatient and hungry and thirsty as she was, she had no choice but to stay put. It would still be risky, but there far was less chance of being caught if she waited until dark. The last thing she wanted was to try explaining why she was wandering around Montaigne naked. That would be difficult enough with words. It would be impossible without them. Chapter 18 Your Majesty, where are you? The voices were faint, but they were getting closer. The soldiers' deep shouts mixed with high-pitched squeals that suggested some of the women had come looking for him as well. Gustav groaned. The sea air had cleared his head, and he realized he had been horribly inconsiderate. He needed to apologize to everyone. That was the mature, responsible, kingly thing to do. He's going to dance with me, Lady Annabel said, her defiant voice carried on the wind. I don't care if he thinks he's in love with someone else, he's going to dance with me. Then again, perhaps apologizing could wait a little longer. Gustav turned away from the castle and walked further down the beach. He rounded a corner so that trees would hide him from view and stopped to examine his surroundings. Large rocks jutted out from the water, looking like small mountainous islands just off the shore. Waves crashed against them, and seagulls perched on the jagged surfaces while they waited for something edible to float their way. A seagull streaked with black flew over to Gustav to beg for food. He ignored the bird until it gave up hope and flew back to one of the boulders in the water. It seemed very interested in that particular rock. More birds had landed on the rock and watched something with interest. It was probably just a dead fish, but Gustav's curiosity got the better of him. He left the cover of the trees and walked towards the water to get a better look. His head pounded as the wind roared in his ears. Maybe he should have listened to Dr. Batiste and stayed in bed. Then Gustav saw a hand clinging to the rock and completely forgot about his headache. He ran to the water's edge and squinted into the sun, trying to see. A wave swept over the rock, and the hand disappeared. Water lapped at the toes of Gustav's boots as he leaned closer. Hello? Is someone there? Another wave washed against the stone, and the water receded a little. Just enough for Gustav to see the outline of someone's head. Hello? Whoever it was didn't answer. She clung to the stone and stayed very still.
Gustav moved closer, hardly noticing that he was ankle-deep in the ocean. The woman slid back, trying to hide behind the rock. Maybe it was her. A wisp of smoke wrapped around his thoughts, reminding him he was in love and looking for the woman who had disappeared. Then a wave filled Gustav's boots with water, and the smoke cleared. It was definitely a woman. The outstretched arm clinging to the rock was decidedly feminine. But she was in shadows, so he couldn't tell much more than that. Are you in trouble? Gustav's heart raced. What if there had been another shipwreck or kraken attack? Why else would a human be clinging to a rock in the ocean? Or maybe it was a mermaid? Kathleen, is that you? Silence. Do you need help? Still nothing. If it was Kathleen, surely she would have spoken by now. It could be a different mermaid. Perhaps Althea? Gustav wasn't particularly eager to speak with her, but at this point he would take whatever contact with the mermaids he could get. They knew something about his father. They had too. He waded deeper into the ocean, not caring that it would ruin his trousers. The woman slid further around the rock, still trying to hide. Why wouldn't she speak? My name is Gustav. You can trust me. The water was well past Gustav's knees now. He stopped waiting and wiped sweat from his brow. What if this was a trap? What if whoever had taken his father was after him as well? A large wave swept the water up to Gustav's thighs and pushed the woman higher against the rock. Then it retreated, exposing the woman's shoulders. Her skin was white and smooth with no sign of scales. She ducked down and cast a nervous glance in his direction. Gustav stepped back. She was human after all. And naked. No wonder she was hiding from him. She was trying to have a peaceful morning swim, and he was yelling at her about mermaids. I am so sorry, miss. I didn't mean to disturb you. Gustav covered his eyes to show he meant her no harm, then turned away and walked back to shore. He searched the beach for her clothes but saw nothing. Had someone stolen them? Had a current pushed her further down the beach than she planned to swim? He glanced in her direction. She peered at him from behind the rock. Dark hair clung to her skin, and her enormous blue eyes were wide with alarm. I'm going to take off my cloak and leave it for you, Gustav said. You can come to shore and put it on. I'll turn around until you tell me you're ready. He removed his cloak, spread it on the sand, and turned to stare into the forest. Would she take his offer? Was she moving? He listened, but whatever sound she made was lost in the waves and wind. How had she ended up naked on a rock in the ocean? This beach wasn't exactly his property, but most locals treated it as part of the castle grounds. They certainly didn't swim here. Someone called his name in the distance, and Gustav flushed. If they found him now, it would be very difficult to explain what he was doing on the beach with a naked woman. His grandmother would have plenty to say about it not to mention everyone else. Gustav narrowed his eyes. Was this part of some scheme to see him married? What exactly would happen if he was discovered right now? Would they insist he marry the girl to save her honor? He fought the urge to turn around and closed his eyes instead. They couldn't force him to do anything if he didn't see anything. What was taking her so long? What if she didn't want the cloak and was still hiding behind the rock?
How could he know if she didn't tell him? Someone touched Gustav's shoulder, and he whirled around, ready to run for his life if necessary. He meant to keep his eyes closed, but they opened as his defenses kicked in. The girl stared at him with enormous blue eyes. She had wrapped his cloak around herself, and her long, dark hair fell over her shoulders. A few wet strands clung to her face, contrasting with her pale skin. Her expression relieved Gustav's suspicions. She didn't look like she was part of a scheme. She looked terrified and cold and alone. Her blue eyes held something familiar, but he couldn't quite place it. Are you in trouble? Something in the back of Gustav's mind warned him that he would be the one in trouble if he wasn't careful. He was in love with someone else. He shouldn't be chatting with naked women on beaches. Gustav pushed the thought aside. For all he knew, this was the love of his life. Her face was familiar, and her blue eyes fit what he remembered. Her hair was the wrong color though. The fog swept through his mind, filling it with memories of red hair and a sweet song. The song. Gustav didn't trust his memories of his love's appearance since it had been dark, but he remembered her voice. The woman watched him with a wary expression and said nothing. Can you speak? Gustav asked. Irritation flashed through the woman's eyes, and she shook her head. Gustav tried not to let his disappointment show. If she couldn't speak, then she wasn't the one he was looking for. Her irritated expression reminded him of someone, but the fog clouded his head when he tried to remember who. Have we met before? Was it Gustav's imagination, or did she hesitate before she shook her head? He squinted, trying to get a better look at her face. She ducked her head as if embarrassed, and Gustav looked away as well. It was rude to stare, even under such circumstances. Especially under such circumstances. Voices echoed down the beach, and the woman shifted as if she meant to run. Don't go, Gustav said. I can help you. She smiled at him. A tiny, half-smile that disappeared in a moment. She met his eyes again, then looked quickly away. Gustav looked down at the sand and realized that his cloak only covered her to her knees. He pulled his eyes away when he realized he was staring at her ankles and bare feet. Last it all, where was he supposed to look? He stared at the sky for a few moments before turning his gaze back to the woman's face. Her mouth quirked upward, and her eyes crinkled. Did she find his distress amusing? I don't live far from here. I'm sure my sister has a dress you can borrow. She frowned at that. Why? Or if you live nearby, I can escort you home. She shook her head. Was she saying she didn't live nearby? Or that she didn't want to go home? You're sure you can't speak? Her scowl deepened, and she raised an eyebrow. Gustav swallowed, feeling like an idiot. I'm so sorry. It would just be easier if you could. Her expression said she was well aware of that fact. Honestly, she had the most expressive eyes. But the lack of voice meant she wasn't the one. It meant he couldn't even learn her name. Names. Other than yelling at her from across the beach, he hadn't introduced himself. Oh, forgive my lack of manners. I'm Gustav. He offered his hand, realized she would have to let go of the cloak to take it, and quickly pulled it away. 
her mouth corked upwards again. Blast it all, she was laughing at him. Your Majesty, are you there? Lady Annabelle's voice cut through the air, and Gustav groaned. He should have known she would find him eventually. I'm King Gustav, actually. Of Montaigne. He might as well get the royal title out of the way. There would be no hiding it once the mob found him. She didn't look surprised. Perhaps she was local after all and had already recognized him. There was no point in delaying his inevitable discovery. His only other alternative was to run and hide in the woods with the naked woman, which would definitely not help his plans to avoid romantic entanglements until he found his father. Colette and Lady Annabelle rounded the corner first. They stopped in their tracks and stared at Gustav and the girl. A group of guards followed them and did the same. I found her in the water, Gustav said. I think she's in some sort of trouble. They all blinked at him. Colette recovered first. Are you well, miss? What happened to you? The naked woman ducked her head. Was she frightened of Colette? That made no sense. She can't speak, Gustav said. Of course she can speak. She is simply preying on your highness's compassion, Lady Annabel said. Her shrill voice made Gustav grit his teeth. The dark-haired girl drew the cloak tighter around her shoulders and glared at Annabel. She seemed more offended by this accusation than the comment warranted. We'll take her back to the castle and get her settled, Gustav said. We can sort out the details once she's comfortable. Gustav, is that wise? Colette asked. We don't know anything about her. He blinked at his sister. I thought you of all people would be eager to help, he signed. Respectable ladies don't show up naked on beaches. This seems suspicious. Colette's face said she considered the matter settled. Gustav did as well. Just in the opposite direction. She's coming back to the castle with us. The least we can do is give her a dress. He would have helped the girl anyway, but the outraged expressions on Lady Annabelle's face made it doubly worth it. Perhaps she doesn't want to come, Lady Annabelle said. I'm sure her clothes are here somewhere. She gestured vaguely to the beach as if this would make clothes appear. The woman smirked and shook her head. Then she shifted her grip on the cloak so she could hold it with one hand and offered the other to Gustav. He held out his arm, and she rested her hand lightly against it. They walked up the pathway together. The woman stumbled on a rock, and Gustav caught her arm as she fell. She stared at him with enormous blue eyes, and a memory tried to surface. I've met you before, haven't I? She shook her head. Gustav looked down to hide his confusion and noticed that her feet were leaving drops of blood on the jagged rocks. Oh, forgive me. You're injured. He pulled off his boots and offered them to her. Her eyes crinkled in amusement again. Gustav looked from the shoes to the woman's feet. Right. She was almost his height, but her feet were much smaller. Not to mention his boots were soaked from sea water. They will still be better than walking barefoot on the rocks. He didn't mean to sound gruff as he said it, but his irritation only seemed to amuse the woman further. She nodded to the ground, and Gustav set the boots down. She slipped her feet into them and continued to walk towards the castle. The boots clomped against the rocks as she walked. 
Rox stabbed Gustav's stockinged feet, but he ignored the discomfort. His thick socks gave him more protection than her bare skin had. She stumbled again, and Gustav helped her stand upright. He took her hand to help her up the stairs to the garden and noticed she wore a pearl ring. Was it some kind of clue to her identity? Then she looked up at him with those enormous blue eyes, and he forgot about her jewelry. He had seen those eyes before. He knew it. Some women will do anything to catch a man, Lady Annabel whispered loudly enough for everyone to hear. The woman's blue eyes sparked with fury. She pulled her arm away from Gustav and walked the rest of the way to the castle by herself. Chapter 19 Fiora's feet stung as she climbed the hill towards the castle. Every so often, a stabbing pain shot through her skin, as if she had stepped on a knife. She hoped it was because the rocks had cut her feet and not a lingering effect of the enchantment. Whatever the cause, there was nothing she could do about it now. A fresh wave of pain swept through her legs, but she gritted her teeth and kept going. King Gustav's boots helped a little. At least she wasn't stepping on stones and knives at the same time. Hopefully her body would adjust to the transformation enchantment soon. She really should have grabbed the second shell and read more about how the enchantment worked. Without that information, she had no way of knowing if this pain was part of the magic or not. Last at all. At least she was human and clothed now. It was better than being human and naked. Except she had somehow ended up with the only humans in Montaigne who knew her as Princess Fiora. What would they do if they recognized her? Should she try to break away from the group and find her own way now that she was somewhat covered? She could still steal clothes from a farm and look for work. Fiora glanced back and groaned silently to herself. Everyone in the group was staring at her. There was no way she could escape them. Not yet, anyway. Not only had King Gustav ruined the princess test in Ionia, he had effectively kidnapped her. Maybe this was for the best. The castle was as good a place as any to hide from Leander and the other merfolk. Unless someone recognized her. Gustav had found her familiar but didn't seem able to place her. That was fair. They had only spoken once before. But what about Colette? Fiora had spent time with her at several princess tests. Of everyone in Montaigne, Colette seemed the most likely to see past Fiora's disguise. But she hadn't yet, had she? Fiora scowled. Colette had been less welcoming than Gustav but surely she would have said something if she had recognized Fiora. So unless someone had recognized her and was keeping it secret for now, Fiora was safe. But what exactly would happen if they realized who she was? Most likely they would send her back to Kel. Fiora felt a small burst of hope at the idea of going home, then brushed it aside. Kel wasn't home. Not anymore. Her father didn't love her and had sent her away to give Elspeth a chance. Fiora gripped the cloak tighter around herself. Humans were nothing but trouble. Mermaids weren't much better, but at least Zoe had done what she could to help. The only help Elspeth had ever offered was flirting advice that inevitably backfired whenever Fiora tried it. She just needed to lie low and spend as little time as possible with Gustav and Colette until she could escape the castle and find work. The guards at the gate raised their eyebrows when they saw Fiora walking towards them. She glared until they looked away in embarrassment.
Colette ran ahead, and the guards hurried to let her in. We found him. A small crowd had gathered in the hallway. Fiora recognized Marquis Corbo from a few state functions she had attended. A woman with a stern expression stood beside him. Another council member. The older woman in the wheelchair must be Montaigne's Dowager Queen. A young man stood by her side. Probably some sort of attendant. Maybe it was his job to push the wheelchair. Two young women stood near the Queen. Not servants, if their clothes and attitudes were any indication. Perhaps the lady who chased Gustav down the beach had some competition. Whoever they were, everyone was so focused on Gustav that they didn't notice Fiora. She edged towards the door. Seeing this many people made her rethink her strategy to hide in the castle. It would be far safer to hide in the woods or a small village. Fiora's stomach growled, and she hesitated. There was food in the castle. Human food cooked with fire and seasoned with spices. Who knew what she would find in the woods? If she found anything at all. Gustav, you must stop running off. The Dowager Queen said. Her voice boomed through the hallway. It was stronger than Fiora would have suspected from looking at her. The Dowager Queen's body may be weak, but her voice was not. I needed to clear my head, Gustav said. He waved his hands while he said it. Was he signing? Fiora moved a little closer, trying to see. All mermaids learn sign language, but she had never known any humans who communicated that way. That is no excuse for insulting guests. The woman who had chased Gustav down the beach sniffed loudly. She must have been the one he insulted. Fiora couldn't blame Gustav for that. If she had her voice, she would have insulted the woman several times by now. Gustav bowed. On this point we agree. Lady Annabelle, Kara, Elaine, please accept my apology. I had not recovered from my injury, and it clouded my judgment. I am sorry if I caused offense. The two young women standing beside the queen nodded their heads in acceptance. Lady Annabel sniffed. So you're not in love with the girl who rescued you on the beach? And you'll dance with me at your birthday gala? Fiora's hands went slack with surprise. The cloak slipped off her shoulders, and she quickly adjusted it to cover herself again. Gustav was in love with a woman who rescued him. That was impossible. She glanced at her ring but the pearl was as gray as ever. Then why would he claim to be in love with her? She stepped closer so she could see the king's face. Gustav looked embarrassed, but he didn't deny the accusation. When he realized everyone was waiting for an answer, he bowed and said, I would be honored to dance with you at my birthday gala, Lady Annabelle. With all of you. He bowed to Kara and Elaine in turn. They curtsied and looked gracious. Annabelle looked annoyed. Probably because he hadn't answered the part about being in love with his rescuer. The young man standing beside the Dowager Queen signed a translation of Gustav's words for her. Fiora edged a little closer so she could see his hands. Yes, it was sign language, and very similar to what the mermaids used. Perhaps mermaids had taught humans how to sign at some point? And who are you? The Dowager Queen said. If Bernadine was surprised to find a wet, mostly naked woman dripping on her marble floor, she showed it only with a small twitch of her eyebrow. Fiora blinked. 
she had come too close and drawn attention to herself. Everyone gaped at her. So much for escaping. What is that? Marquis Corbo said. I believe that is a woman, Marquis. We can see quite enough of her to feel confident in that assessment. The Dowager Queen fixed Fiora with a fierce stare as if she could pin her in place with her gaze alone. Fiora considered answering in sign language, but what could she say? Besides, her hands were busy holding the cloak in place. Perhaps it would be easier if they thought she had no way to communicate with them. So rather than attempting to answer, Fiora glared at the Marquis. It had only been a few hours, but she missed her voice. No matter how expressive your eyes were, they could only convey so much scorn. Where did you come from? The Dowager Queen said. What is your name? She can't speak, Gustav said. Miss, this is my grandmother, Dowager Queen Bernadine. He hurried to Fiora's side, then stepped away so he stood a respectable distance apart from her. Fiora smirked in spite of everything. What was he so afraid of? You know this woman? Marquis Corbo asked. I found her in the water. She can't speak. I believe she's in some sort of trouble. King Gustav made signs with his hands as he spoke. The Dowager Queen watched him to read the signs, but they did not help her confusion. Or she was causing trouble, Marquis Corbo said. Decent young women do not swim naked in the ocean. They certainly do not. Lady Annabel added. Fiora glared at her. Oh, how she wished she had her voice. She wanted to give that woman a piece of her mind. We're going to help her, Gustav said. Are we indeed? Dowager Queen Bernadine said. She looked from Gustav to Fiora with a curious expression. Fiora scowled at the Dowager Queen's silent implication. She had failed to catch a man's interest too many times to think this would be any different. Your Majesty cannot be responsible for the care of a loose woman, Marquis Corbo said. Loose woman? Fiora stuck her tongue out at the Marquis. With voice gone and her hands occupied holding the cloak, it was the only method of retaliation available to her. The Marquis and Lady Annabel gasped. Gustave's eyes grew wide with surprise. The Dowager Queen chuckled. Perhaps Gustav is right. We should help those in need. She looked to Colette as if she expected some response to this. An answer to an unasked question. But Colette remained silent. She was staring at Fiora with eyes that, while not quite hostile, were certainly not friendly. Out of the question, the Marquis said. The hospitality budget. This young lady will stay as my personal guest. Dowager Queen Bernadine said. I have been given free reign to invite friends to the gala, and I'm inviting her. Fiora wasn't sure she should be annoyed to be thrust back into the world of royal politics or amused at Marquis Corbo's face. He looked absolutely horrified. And speechless, which left him unable to protest. Fiora sneezed. It barely made any sound, but the motion was enough for everyone to notice. It was cooler in the castle than it had been in the sun, and she was still soaked. We're not throwing her onto the street in this condition, Gustav said. She might not be comfortable staying in the castle, Colette said. Take this young lady to a guest bedroom and find her some appropriate clothing, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. She waved her hand, 
and a servant moved towards Fiora. Fiora blinked. This was all happening rather fast. If she officially became a guest, it would be even more difficult to escape. If you'll come with me, miss? The servant said. As if she could refuse now. Fiora looked at the crowd of people. How had she gotten into such a mess? She had only been human for a few hours, and she was already in a difficult situation. Gustav mistook her hesitation for nervousness. It will be all right, miss. We only want to help. He smiled at her, and Fiora couldn't help smiling back. In spite of everything, there was something reassuring about King Gustav. When he wasn't ruining your life, that was. The rest of you report to the council chamber, the Dowager Queen said. Those of you that are on the council, that is? We have things to discuss. Like the hospitality budget, Marquis Corbo said. Gustav made a face, then flushed with embarrassment when he realized Fiora had seen. She winked at him and turned to follow the servant. And realized she was still wearing Gustav's boots, while he was barefoot. She stepped out of the shoes and nudged them towards the king with her foot. She wanted to make a comment about how they were ruined from seawater, and he might not want them back after all. But she had to settle for a small shrug. Gustav smiled as if he understood and was saying it was all right. Of course it was all right. He was a king. He had other boots. Still, Fiora couldn't help giving him a small smile in return. He had given them to her as if it were the obvious thing to do. Even though his feet were likely now scraped from walking barefoot up the rocky path. Neither of her families had ever treated her with such kindness. Come along, Gustav. The Dowager Queen nodded to her attendant, who pushed her wheelchair down the hall. She gave Fiora a shrewd glance before turning her attention back to her grandson. Fiora swallowed. Perhaps Princess Colette wasn't the person she needed to worry about most after all. 